0: Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host, through this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, and motivation—all elements of human flourishing. So, how do we cultivate them? Since 2009, TEDx speaker, author, and life strategies coach Ranbir Puar has been helping adults and children break free of their limiting beliefs by providing the tools to tap into their inner strength. And silence their inner critics. And this week, she joins me on the podcast. She is the creator of the popular Today I Practice Life Strategies app, helping to enable individuals to break free and reach their full potential. Her work has garnered global recognition, and she's been prominently featured in numerous publications, including Forbes. Listen as Rambir and I discuss personal excellence, mediocrity, tech dependency, and resilience all this and more in today's conversation.
1: For me, metacognition is is incredibly powerful because it you know essentially refers to the ability to reflect on yourself, um, how you learn, how you process, how you feel in the body. So it brings together a space you know it's almost like a neutral space where you can bring together, your thinking, your feeling, and your and your big self, you know, mm. and and it's the it's creating awareness of your awareness. So it's really almost as if you're sort of. I, I try to get kids and parents, whatever, just to imagine closing their eyes and rising above the self as though they're in a viewing. Step. Oh, I love that. So if they were viewing themselves, so it's different from my perspective. It's 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 so powerful if you can learn to view yourself from a place of objectivity and neutrality. And when you can get to that neutral place, then there's so much power. I mean, the Buddhists call it the Mm -hmm. middle way. You know, in India, we call it different things too, right? Um, But it's that middle space of neutrality. And quite often, people
0: take so little time to look at themselves objectively. Yeah, and what we think about also is how hard it is to, you know, we often think about the stuff in the context of school and education and learning and reading and all of that kind of more formal stuff. But I like do so much talking with adults about how they even move through something like having dinner with your family, um, getting together with friends, Mm -hmm. um, doing, participating in your own hobbies. Like you call yourself a reader, but you can't sit down and you're not you know you're you know that you're not reading the way you want to and i'm not reading a book a month or two books a month like i used to but where is my attention and am i aware of or am i just complaining <clears throat> that i'm not doing what i want or am i aware of why and how i can move forward living in the present um so there's so much that goes into this all of these layers and um i'm excited to get into some of them with you and talk about the like the, I'm looking at these crossroads of how all of our work comes together, and I'm so excited to talk to you because I've been, you've been referred to me so many times by right, Dara. Now I'm getting excited. <laughs> I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm too. glad that we were able to finally do this, and I know it was my fault for not connecting with you earlier, but now we're here, and so I kind of would like to dive first into a little bit about what kind of has influenced your path or your journey, or the work that you now do? How did you find yourself in your present state?
1: Well, my story is a really bizarre and unique (laughs) one. I didn't intend to do this. I didn't intend to do Mm -hmm. this work. I, I'm one of those people, if you say to me, it's almost uh, somebody threw a challenge my way and said, you're making excuses, you have this skill and this ability, and you're not using oh. it. And I thought, I'll show you, you know, so it was started like that. And actually, interestingly enough, the person that happened to do that, I didn't know who he was, I didn't know the power of who he was at the time, happened to be um, Wayne mm-hmm. Dyer. And he's, a, you know, famous in the self help world, but I didn't really know who he was when I first met him. Anyway, so it just started off with this, conversation with him. And he said this thing to me like, Oh, you have this gift and ability, and you should be working in this space. And I thought challenge <laughs> accepted. And so <laughs> <it's> terrible. <laughs> uh, but I grew up, I grew up with such a chip on my shoulders. And I grew up in an environment that was challenging to the to my it challenged me to my core. And it wasn't until I guess my first iteration began when I met my husband in 1996. And he was the first person that was bold enough to challenge me on my victim. Mm, story. Interesting. He was bold enough to ask me how it served me. He was bold enough to push me into a, a area of massive discomfort. And it changed my whole life to let that go. Mm. It changed everything from my cells to my skin, probably to my spirit. And it allowed me to release something that I didn't want to hold anyway. It's almost as though he, him challenging me allowed, gave me permission to awaken my inner champion and let go of the inner critic. Hmm. And when I'm talking to kids and I'm trying to describe what the inner critic is, I try to, I, you know, I use this reference to a book. A lot of them have read it's called Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. And I don't know if you've read that I know book, but yeah. when my sons were little, we read, we read the book yep. and the pigeon, his legs aren't long enough and he just begs and begs and begs. So please, please, please let me drive the bus. And it's very much like our inner critic, like, you know, she's not equipped to drive this big, powerful being that mm-hmm. is me. She ab- has the ability to do some of it, steer a little bit, but doesn't, can't put the feet on the gas, can't break, nothing. And so I try to look at my inner critic like that little pigeon not capable to fully, fully drive drive. So what can I do instead? How can I choose to let that inner champion wake up? You know, it's hard to do the work to release the story. And it's hard to do
0: the work to stay in the story. I love that. And so are you do you often um, attribute I guess uh, maybe it, we would call it a pivot in your journey to the encouragement and challenge that your husband provided you at that time.
1: A thousand percent. He and I and I don't say this lightly, and I don't say this uh, in in any sort of even. I'm not trying to romanticize this in any way. I'm going to give that disclaimer. But he saved my life. Yeah. You know, by allowing me, I think I was going down a path. of consistent, uh, dark thoughts and and heaviness. And he allowed me to see, remember who the little Mm. girl was in there with the
0: dreams and the vision and let her come back to life. So it's pretty cool. And so I'm thinking about the possible connection in the story you're just telling to your emphasis on this idea of personal excellence and dealing with mediocrity and i think about that with teachers all the time too and and we try to address like what it means to you know it's hard it's a hard topic like what it means to kind of push and encourage and it's a part of awareness right helping helping people especially helping young people realize their potential and to be aware of it on their own it's part of that awareness mm-hmm. right but but not wanting to push too hard where it feels you know, like you're overdoing something. So I don't know. I'm interested in that, the personal excellence versus mediocrity, especially in a world that's remote first, where we can often feel, I mean, I work remotely and it can be easily done where I can just kind of go through my day. No one's looking at me. And I, I, I fear for a lot of us in that, in these situations where we're not really in front of other humans a lot, so I know I'm saying a lot, but you can kind of take this however you want want to, and I can add to it. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: I have I have a, a lot of different cool. thoughts going through my head. You know, I I have a saying uh, that I've had for a long time. I I say see, I see, uh, stop measuring yourself with sticks that belong to others, and and get your own mm-hmm. stick. And so, getting your own stick is really actually figuring out who you are, and it comes back to that metacognition awareness of your awareness. I wrote a post that is titled when I realized I was ordinary, my life became extraordinary. And in that recognition, because I was so busy chasing the gold stars, (laughs) I was so busy chasing recognition, and trying to be special, Mm. that that meant that I would then if I was special, and I got the gold star, that means somebody else didn't. It was this I wasn't chasing the gold star because I my inner champion thought I deserved the gold star. I was trying to mm-hmm. beat somebody. And so when I realized that I'm ordinary and I be, that's when I became extraordinary or my life became extraordinary, is because I was able to feel secure in my abilities, my gifts, my potential, my challenges, secure enough that it didn't bother me what the next individual did or didn't do. It didn't shake me up on the inside. And I think when we can raise children to have that kind of inner resolve, mm. that they're elastic. And I use the, the analogy of the trampoline. If you watch my TED Talk, I, I talk about the trampoline. We want our children and our saddles to be like the trampoline. People are going to jump on yeah. you. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's life. And, and if they didn't, you would never grow. So when they jump on you, the trampoline does dip. It has a dip. But it will bounce them back and come back to its natural state but it's so complicated on the surface but it's very simple when we go to use tools i mean they're ancient and in in my ancestral practices is but use the body in the west we're so much in our minds At. And so, look teaching children how to anchor in their bodies, and just doing simple exercises where they put their feet flat on the ground and feel the edges of yes. their feet and 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 just start to see what does that feel like to be supported and by yourself?
0: Uh, yes, I mean, so that that is uh, obviously what I keep bringing the conversation back to like it's one thing where we we learn this and know it and own it ourselves, and then we we coach younger people and we teach them or we model it for them, but then how do we make sure that that awareness, that level is there where they can do this on their own and they want to do it. And they feel that I think part of that is, and you're explaining it in some of your, you know, the awakening part of your journey where the light bulb went off, like a million light bulbs seem to have gone off, but like it almost has to happen in a way where they every individual, not just, we're not just talking about students here, but everybody has to feel that brain body connection. Like we can't just live in the body and you can't mm-hmm. just live in the brain. Um, you are not one of or the no. other. Yeah. I was in a, uh, lecture the other day where what it was about the mind and it was about mindfulness, but it was like kind of a basic training based on a book I had read a, a while ago, but there were over 280 people there, and it was a virtual thing, so there was a chat going on and and uh, towards the end of it, the woman who was speaking said uh, she was giving an example of what you just mentioned about anchoring yourself, finding your feet on the ground, this groundingness, and she gave the example the classic example of that's of the reason why we anchor ourselves to the breath or we think about the breath." because it's something that you have with you all the time, is how she explained it. And someone said in the chat, can you Mm -hmm. please explain why we can't use something like our cell phone to anchor ourselves? Because that's also with me all the time. And it was the end, and I was like trying to help answer some of these questions, because I felt like often... And you might feel the same. We're embedded in this kind of talk every day that when we are exposed to people that don't think about this stuff, it's shocking to me how much we need this, these conversations. Like, you know, what's the difference between anchoring yourself to your breath and thinking about that, bringing you into the present moment or your feet on the ground or your hands on the desk in front of you? Um, And what's the difference Mm -hmm. between that and like literally meditating on your phone I mean, that's a shocking difference Mm -hmm. in balance to me that um, really just, I can't stop thinking about that from the other day, because it just pointed, just really reinforced and reminded me of how different um, it is out there for people that are not thinking about this. And that's most people.
1: And how prevalent addiction is, Mm -hmm. and how strong it is, that the cell phone has become an extension of the self. Yes. In their minds, the cell phone is an extension of them. That is their lifeline and it's so challenging um to allow uh, to 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 believe that, that people think like that of course it's mind boggling for us i mean i've been doing this work for over 14 years mm-hmm. so i feel like i i feel like i've heard it all and even I'm for sure. me that's a first i haven't heard
0: like, somebody say that's like, why i keep bringing it cell up phone. you're like, like <laughs> you're like the fourth person i've brought it up to in 2 days i'm like can you believe this <laughs> <laughs> but
1: to me it that's you, you know I can't remember the exact way the phrase goes but it's and and I think we're all little children walking around mm-hmm. in adult bodies and, and many on many days we are some days we're fully adult but you know I'm going to look up that the the, ter- the the phrase but it's such a powerful one I feel like it's important um because I don't want to wreck it Totally the child who is not embraced by the village will burn its down, burn mm-hmm. it down to feel its warmth. Mm. The child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. And in many ways, it's a self-burning when we're going to the cell phone and thinking that's an extension of the self. That is a, you're burning yourself up inside. Because that's not authentic. That's not what your cells need. That's not what your nervous system needs. That's not what your spirit needs. That's not what your heart heart meets. It's, it, it's so disconnected. And it is a burning of villages. And we need to come together in our space to, to bring to options for those people that are realistic for them that are accessible to them. Because we can't jump from a person thinking the cell phones an extension of them
0: to them meditating 20 minutes a day, right. It's Like an impossible, impossible extension. Yeah. And this practice that they were explaining and, and um, just kind of trying to give people a little bit of a jump start into doing themselves was really, it was less of a full meditation. And it was a question about how to get yourself to practice focusing or practice your attention and bringing yourself back from distraction for like five minutes a day, that kind of a thing. And it lends itself to elements of meditation, of course, but- the grounding yeah. yourself in that in something simple in your breath or the environment around you or in front of you. I don't know, I would never jump to it being something like um, something that I'm holding. Um, so I
1: just I just thought of a way that that person could use it.
0: Yeah, they could
1: use their cell phone, but find some maybe binaural beats or something, mm-hmm. you know, right, get the right binaural beat set the timer on Spotify for five minutes <laughs> and they could put the phone next to them and close their eyes and just listen to the music with headphones.
0: And then they would have to just make sure that they're the idea was that you're only paying attention to one thing. And if you find yeah, yourself to the music, yeah, if you find yourself um, drifting, you have to become aware of that. And are you aware of it? Did you? Are you aware that your attention has gone elsewhere? And so now I'm realizing we could easily jump into my ideas about, um, tech dependency that I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to just, uh, quickly make sure that we all understood the concept of, of mediocrity just before we move on. Like, are you measuring, I, I mean, I'm guessing I'm thinking about this mostly with students, but are you thinking of that in terms of, um, mostly what you said before about you know if, if someone is settling in their path or in their decisions or what they what they want for themselves is it, is it largely because they are measuring themselves next to others or thinking they're not thinking about what they're capable of yet they haven't come to that full awareness or if they're not really in themselves they're thinking of anything but who they are really um, is that kind of how you're, you're interpreting right. mediocrity? Well,
1: I, I, mediocrity is multi.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that's what people, we're going to do, everybody. We're just defining it for you today.
1: <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we're going to define, we're going to give you three different options, three <laughs> different buckets for mediocrity. Uh, bucket number one. Um, I think sometimes mediocrity is uh, akin to apathy. Mm. And if you were to look at, you know, something uh, for some people, it is akin to apathy. So they've given up on themselves, they don't have the internal roar to get out of apathy. So sometimes an apathy is far more challenging than to anger.
0: Yes. You know, it's a,
1: it's got less of a a juice, you know, so when you're apathetic, you're just like, ah, what's the point? I'm just gonna get
0: by. And we're all so familiar with that these days, right? We think we really are. Um, in different bare ways. minimum, just yeah. do the bare minimum, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. This is all they've asked of me bare minimum. And I think a lot of that is a challenge coming from the education system. And mm-hmm. I love the teachers. and I, I think it's, I'm talking more like curriculum mm-hmm. because I feel like their children know how to give you what you're asking for, but nothing extra. Mm-hmm. And so there's almost like they're being trained like, uh, uh, like robotically Get, just answer, do the bare minimum, And that's all you need. And this is, there's this sort of uh, messaging that I hear in the kids that I work with. Oh no, no, no. The teacher said, if I do do just this, and then the other messaging they hear is stories of the progress. So the other mediocrity comes from their parents' story. Right. So uh, there's a apathy. And then the other mediocrity is there. The parent either believes the child's not good at math or whatever. So the child then adopts this concept an identity of mediocrity because maybe they're not as smart as their older brother or their older sister or their younger brother, you know, like mm-hmm. it's how do they rank? So sometimes mediocrity is a, a ranking system that they get at home and then they bring to school.
0: Yeah. I can see that. Definitely. Because they've
1: been ranked that way at home. Right. And then other times mediocrity is for dumb. That is they're doing the mediocre thing because they really don't want to do it. Right. And so not boredom, protest, actually, protest would be the better word. So they're mediocre in order to almost have a voice. Yes, to I've get seen that play out. To, you know. yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. And now I'm I am thinking about the, um, the tech part of this, this kind of all really does connect together, because especially since you said mm-hmm. you've been doing this for about 14 years. And so and I was I was teaching for about 14 years. And in the time that I've been out of the classroom for a few years now, but in that specific time frame just happened to be almost the exact trajectory of the cell phone being at its infancy. Like when I started teaching, I mean, I saw kids coming in with the first flip phones where maybe five kids had it in my entire high school roster. And then when I left, it was like, you know, kids trying to create Snapchat accounts for me. Like I I saw like the whole trajectory had happened in that time that I, during that exact years that I was teaching. But so I'm thinking about your time doing this work and everything you're um, talking about and bringing up so far, but is there an effect on how you see people's ability to be resilient because of their dependency or the availability of technology now, is it affecting the way people are able to bounce back or take on challenges or see that they have um, more like, you know, kind of go against that grain of mediocrity. Like all of that, I think is related to resilience in some way. Um, And and do you see technology having an effect on that?
1: Technology is so much a part of everything we're doing and our kids are doing. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a double-edged sword. It, you, it wields so much power for growth and opportunity and learning. There are so many ways to learn through tech. And so I would say if your home is grounded and your communication at home is grounded, then the technology doesn't impact your children as much because they realize the reality versus the I call it the highlights real R-E-E-L versus the highlights real R-E-A-L. So they're gonna they're (laughs) gonna live in the R-E-A-L because they have an understanding based on the adults that are role modeling. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be moms and dads and parents and grandparents that are going to be showing every bit of their lives on their Instagram stories or every vacation. Every bikini photo, every whatever, like every trophy the kid wins, and the the parent externalizes it, and that is the program in that household. So then there could be other parents that don't that say social media is for these things. I I have uh, I usually write a lot. I've taken much of the year off from posting and writing because it was very very heavy every mm-hmm. load. And I just felt like I needed a break. But my kids have grown up. I used to do this thing on Fridays called Freedom Friday. And all the little kids that they went to school was knew that on Fridays, you know, their mom's going to post this Freedom Friday. It was something inspirational to think about or talk about. Mm-hmm. And so my kids, for, uh, for uh, an example, have grown up seeing us using technology for work, for learning. So we've found cool games, um, math games, chess games, but mostly, they use it to access their sports stats. So, mm-hmm. you know, how does their dad use their te- technology? He uses it to laugh, to watch movies, um, to be inspired, or sports stats. Right. So, as corny as or as trite as it sounds, the reality is, a responsibility for that program starts at home. A- and I feel there's an age where the girls are impacted much, much more. Mm-hmm. Um, than boys on the social media and the tech. But for the boys, the technology has allowed them to connect during COVID, for example, lockdowns. They could, their social connections were allowed to still flourish because they could connect and play online. And I know one of my sons during the initial lockdowns, he started producing music. So technology ha- is this double-edged sword and it has to come, you have to be adult about it. And I think that could be where things go a little south is that adults, you know, they, they go on their phones so much, and then the children role model it mm-hmm. and end up doing what the parents are doing. Um, but then they lose their minds and get really angry so quickly, <laughs> because all oh, the child's yeah. on the phone, but then the child can't say but I learned that from you you know, so it, it it's a really complex and very individual sort of conversation that has to happen around tech is very much like nourishment, right? We know what you eat is going to vary from house to house. And so mm-hmm. how we nourish ourselves through tech
0: or don't nourish ourselves through tech is very much like how we do or don't with food. I just started um, reading this book kind of casually with a group of teachers. I don't know if you know this book. We just started it and it's called, yeah, Attention Hijacked, Using Mindfulness to Reclaim Your Brain from Tech. But it was um, someone I interviewed on the podcast a few weeks ago. She hadn't read it, but she had heard that this author had this book. And we didn't know until we both picked it up and started looking at it this week that it's actually written for kids. It's not for you. Oh, cool. And then within it, because I was going through it and I'm like, Hmm, this is kind of laid out in a way that doesn't look like it's for adults. (laughs) And then I started reading it and there's sections. I'm bringing this up because there's sections about, um, tips for you as a kid or as a teenager to talk to your parents, There's whole pages that are like a workbook of how to talk to the adults in your life about their tech consumption. And so this is just like the latest, you know, obviously like big professional, published piece of evidence like in a long line of things that we're now hearing of teenagers stepping forward and being like someone take this away from me because in my house like everybody's in their own little tech bubble but i i know that it's bad for me and i don't know what to do about it like somebody help me we talk about how it takes a little bit it's only a tiny bit of time away for you to feel the difference in your body but what happens when you keep doing that. And like we say, that practice, the practice every day, like you become all of the other things start to fall into place, right? Your ability to take on hard things, your ability to, which is related to being resilient, um, your ability to communicate in person with people, to pay attention to conversation, all of these things start to get a little bit better when you start to pay attention to what has your attention, and it's just such a huge conversation, yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> Def- it is, it is a huge conversation, and and often children are the scapegoats or the punching bags for this tech addiction, which started with the adults because they're like the kids, not you know, <laughs> the seven year old's not going to be who hasn't been exposed to somebody on their phone all the time think that that's what I should be doing too, right? If you were to ask, even. You know, my eldest is almost 19. If I was to ask him, here's two choices. Envelope one is we're going to be outside and we're going to play soccer or paddle boarding or do something outside and to, uh, option, you know, for three hours. And option two is you can sit on your phone and play games for three hours. I, you know, the, the kid is want the kids want to be outside. The kids want to be active. They want their you know, to be firing and wiring with you. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be isolated from you. They want to be with you. Right. Because you are the sun and the moon and the stars for them. And there's that disconnect in the family unit that, you know, oh, you know, it's nothing to do with the parents. It has so much to do with them. And also coming back to the concept, I I posted this in my stories from Dr. Kathy Yale. YEO. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, how disconnected have we become that we need clinical studies to prove to prove that nature is good for us? I know.
0: <laughs> I know. There's a lot of stuff related to that that pops up sometimes, like in psychology today. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that we needed to, to... Let's go
1: back to basics.
0: <laughs> I, so I also did just want to before, because believe it or not, we've been talking for almost 40 minutes uh, already. And oh, uh, Can I add one thing to the tech Recorded thing? minutes. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sure.
1: Well, I, I'd like to, to be sure that when I say the parents are responsible, I'm not trying to shift guilt. Like mm-hmm. that's not meant to be a thing of, of guilt. That's right. not to, meant to be a victim uh, inducing conversation. It's meant to be an empowering one. Because when you know that you're a role model, and when you know your actions have a reaction, that gives you power, and and so you have the power to change and create change. It doesn't need to be a victim story; it can be a a strong story mm-hmm. to say, "I can change this. I have capacity and capability to do that."
0: Yes, and that's something that we try to emphasize a lot here in our community, and when we're, when we're talking to people about how to try to use our engageable software, the our app, it's like the idea is that mm-hmm. you are able to engage with the world in front of you. You can engage with the life that you, that's real life and in in the present moment, but you don't feel like you have that ability. Like we can manage, we can manage ourselves a little better. We don't have to be amazing at it. We don't have no. to be, we don't have to have the best attention of anybody in the room or You know, know how to meditate better than anybody in our family or in our house, but it's about that little bit. Like, as you as you build that little bit each day, like, can you get to the point where for can you sit for ten minutes and think about one thing, or read for ten minutes and not be pulled into Instagram? All these things into like are just so related. Like, I I just um, I don't know. I get I get really passionate when I talk about that. Like, it's just you have the ability to do it.
1: And usually the best place to start is rather than trying to create a new habit, is add it to something you already do. You know, and if you look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, of course you're not going to be able to focus on it while you're sleeping. So that you know sleeps kind of out of it, but add it to a physiological need like eating. So if you want to build a practice of mindfulness in your family, don't allow any technology during meal time, whether mm-hmm. the child is eating alone, or whether the child is eating with you and your family, ask them to pay attention to how the food feels inside their bodies, and they can become so intuitive and instinctual that way. And then you can build from there. But if we start with some of the physiological needs and adding a tech detox to that, it's a lot easier to build from that because it's primal, um, a primal need and, and a primal sort of foundation that it allows us to have some solid
0: ground to build on. It's very difficult to ask them to change their tech habits when it comes to reading
1: or things like that.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you just reminded me of, you know, another term, like we love talking in education about building capacity and elsewhere, but like we usually talk about it in Uh the case of learning, but One thing in the last, just in the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to a couple of principals and librarians and other school leaders about this, this idea of what if we approach the next school year with the capacity for attention and mindfulness first and academic second? Like what if your teachers, as they came back to school, instead of whatever assembly or meeting that they're going to be called into normally, it's all about like, where is your attention? What is your capacity to change the way you um, interact with each moment? Like, where is that capacity rather than jumping to your capacity for all of the other stuff that goes into teaching and learning and the official work of being in school and, and put that aside and think about your individual capacity. And it's so powerful when I talk to wellness coordinators and SEL coordinators who are doing this stuff and they see the change in adults, like when they start to see like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally able to start my work day, my school day and not feel like I'm rushing from one class period to the next because I am actually enjoying each one of these moments as they are arriving and I'm not thinking about yes. what I didn't do last period, and mad at myself, um, and judging yourself. And I'm not thinking about the 400 photocopies I have to make fifth period, and like I don't know what I'm gonna do, what yeah. I'm gonna eat, like all of those things that I know everybody in the world deals with, but teachers have this 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 hurried rush through the day that they I think sometimes feel like it's just part of what their job is because the bell rings and you must go. And we've talked about this a lot on this show about how do we take back our ability and capacity to just organize ourselves as a human, we're a human person. And I think that's what kids watch. And we all know that, this, that our students are so susceptible to the way we act and feel and react to them as the day goes on. And how does it change if we approach the new school year thinking about our capacity for attention and mindfulness and resilience before we think about the academic part of our lives? And how does that change us?
1: Well, it, it increases capacity for learning because the concept mm-hmm. of neuroception, my nervous system reads your nervous system. So if you're the teacher and your nervous system is off, and it's in fight or flight, then so mine will attuned to yours because you're the leader of the group, you're the you know, the person guiding me, you're my coach in that moment. So when we can teach teachers to attune to that self regulation and understand that when they self regulate, then they can co regulate with the kids Mm -hmm. and and having that, you know, real connection with them. And it comes back to asking them, why are they there in that job? And sometimes having a a quick reminder, I get clients to put use tech, put it in their phone and have it pop up, you know, sometimes when they're learning a a question that I get them to ask and it'll pop up three, four times in the day is why is my life so great? Mm -hmm. And it's better than a gratitude journal because you're not forced to write it. You have to, your brain will start looking for ways to answer the question rather than forcing yourself to write what's so good. And so you could ask, you know, you know, why did I choose to do this job as a teacher? Right. Ground in that you know, that the bigness of why you picked your to be a teacher, genuinely wanting to support and help and grow children. (laughs) And when you go from that place, it's easier to bring up that good feeling in the body, you know, and and there's so much science on the capacity of the heart, you know, to help regulate Mm -hmm. you. And, you know, there's an old saying that says the longest distance in the world is from the head to the heart. Mm hmm. And when we can teach our teachers to go from the head to the heart and breathe from that heart center, like heart math does a lot of that work, um, heart coherence, and getting them regulated there,
0: it's powerful. It feels powerful to me. Even just hearing you talk about it, I can feel it. Yeah.
1: You it's, you can legitimately feel the difference. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, And it's like I said, getting into that heart center. And it's old stuff. <laughs> it's <laughs> simple stuff but they say simple is not easy.
0: No, I know. And then you know? when we talk about it here, um, I'm sure you're experiencing the same. So much of it is feels contagious. Like you want to give that gift of what you're speaking of, of what we're speaking of to as many people as possible. And it feels simple to us. Like, well, just all you have to do is, is what we're saying. Because <laughs> we've experienced the difference in the way your body feels and the way. I mean, it changes the wiring of your brain. And you don't yeah, approach 100%. other experiences every day in the same way that you did before, um, and so it can become where we feel like, "Well, just do this; it's going to feel great." But until people do really understand that they need it and what it feels like, and and what we've been doing to ourselves, that's kind of the opposite of healthy. Uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to really mm-hmm. talk about it, uh, and so that's one of the purposes of this podcast and this the community that we've built. Um, around all this work, which is the Optimist community and our newsletter and all of that, is really to bring as many educators and parents into this conversation as possible and expose everybody to conversations with people like yourself from a wide range of fields who are using this language and working directly with families or with schools. Um, I think it's just so important for us to hear as many voices as possible. And I'm just really grateful for- Thank you for the work you're doing. I'm grateful for the work you're doing and for- um, Tara's beautiful connection of us, um, over the months. Okay. Um, but the way we, there was a yeah. couple, a couple of steps of how we end every episode of this podcast. And, uh, one of them is fun. And one of them is just kind of ending on a one sentence summary about mindfulness or attention. But, uh, so I'm wondering, and you can answer any of these or none of these, all of these, whatever part you want, but is there anything that you are listening to or reading or, or even watching that maybe is inspiring to you, or that would give people a fuller picture of what it is that you consume that be that is a full part of who you are?
1: Well, I mean, attention is the most basic form of love. Mm -hmm. And when I start to think about it from that perspective, and I pay attention to what I'm doing in the moment, it makes me feel like I like and care about myself. Um, Right now, what I'm reading Is preparing. I'm. I turned fifty this year, so I'm read. I'm created a book study club, and so I'm reading the book um, that I'm planning to share in September, which is Eastern Body, Western Mind.
0: Cool, and um, that is what I'm consuming at the moment. (laughs) Good. Um, It sounds like a good thing to be consuming.
1: Yeah, it's not necessarily aligned uh, in in this space in particular, but it is very good in anchoring the old with the new. Because even a lot of Einstein's um, you know, findings were rooted in old Eastern philosophy. So there's ways to bring old and new together mm-hmm. to coexist. And I think there's beauty in that. Yeah.
0: That's why I picked that book. I love that. Um, yeah. And, and bridge building. <laughs> it doesn't have to always be. Um, we have people talk about all sorts of things on here that they're consuming, not always at all aligned with their work. Uh, we've talked about reality TV, <laughs> comedies, podcasts, music, oh. anything that you uh, would like would say like, hey, watch this or listen to this. What it's kind of cool.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I would really like I have on Spotify, I have some binaural beats lists, which I cool. consume every day. Um, um, there are some that are great for focus, some that are great for just relaxing and clearing mm-hmm. and healing um, your mind. I like Uh, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I live, I have two teenage sons. (laughs) If I usually watch, I watch sports or some kind of action film where I close my eyes. eyes. Um, (laughs) I I try to hang in in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I think I'm a meditator and I like being outside. I like being with my family and my dog Mm -hmm. and my friends. So I'm a pretty, I think when I realize that simplicity allows me to have magic in my life. It changed everything.
0: Wow, that's like a perfect ending line. But we do have one more um, question. The question that to end our questions here is just if you could, do you have a method of attention or working on attention or practicing attention that you feel totally works for you or that you've seen work for others that you would recommend? Sure.
1: Uh, What I use to help my clients and myself get inattention (laughs) quickly, Uh, believe it or not, is jumping jacks. Hmm. And so they can help you when you feel anxious. The great thing about jumping jacks is they make you so big, your physiology changes and your brain gets signals that you're big and you're Mm -hmm. confident and you're capable. So that allows Mm -hmm. you to bring attention to the present moment. The other thing it does is it jumping jacks make you almost out of breath. No matter how thick you are, at one point, you're going to lose your Yeah. Uh And they help you focus on breathing without focusing on your breathing. You have to think about breathing in order to get through them. They also do uh, a great lymphatic drainage because you're up and bouncing. You know, the bouncing, Mm -hmm. your feet hitting the ground allow you to really anchor somatically um, because it's getting the lymphatic system going. But it's letting you realize that every time you jump, the ground is going to catch you. And it builds a sense of security in that. And at the end of it, almost everybody will be smiling. So they bring joy. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great, quick, easy practice. I've got clients that have their RX prescription is to, as soon as they wake up, they do jumping jacks now because it changes the flow of their morning routine rather than, you know, grabbing the phone or do quick jumping jacks, gets the blood flowing makes you feel alive, you know? So that's my attention,
0: quickest way to get attention. It's also a child-like connection as well, right? It's something so jumping much. jacks. Because you're a star. Yeah, it's an exercise that you associate with like gym class, Um, not often something you think yes. about that you're doing as an adult, and I think it has that playfulness to it. I have a yoga teacher that inserts them into – not all the time, but sometimes inserts them into certain um, transitions in between different parts of a flow of a practice. And if you don't know that they're going to come up and I'm always like annoyed at first and like, oh, come on, this is ruining the flow. And then you're right. Afterwards, it's just like, oh, that kind of just changed the mood for a second. And then you go back to being like serious and focusing on your breath. And it just takes you out of that space. And the idea is to always stay in beginner's mind, right? You leave, leave your comfort zone and shake it up and be playful and weird and get your heart pumping differently. And then you come back to the breath and in the, in your regulated way. And then you're more willing to focus on the things that you know, you have to do, I think um, with yeah. less resistance, I think. And, where, and they don't know. seem
1: as heavy. Cause you just lifted no, yourself. Yes, exactly. Like the, the problem doesn't seem as heavy because you literally lifted yourself. Right. Everything seems much more
0: manageable after a few minutes. of Dr. Uh, Jack. Totally so. agree. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> so where can people find you if they want to connect with you more um, on, if either on social media. Um, it can be on LinkedIn or website where they can find or connect to your work. Um, and we'll link to everything you've talked about in our show notes today as well. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. I've, I've I've got, I've had a a site for a really long time and I've got to update it, but it's pureatma.com and I'm on all the social medias. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, wherever, wherever, all, all of them, but most of them I'm under my name, Ranbir Poir, which you can have to look up in the links, Mm -hmm. how to spell it. And normally, I'm quite active on social media, I just have taken a little break, but I'm getting back to it. I have a podcast with if you want to go back and listen to my work. (sighs) I haven't done a podcast in a little while. But there's a lot of good. There are a lot of good articles, um, and podcasts in there, everything about how to redefine anxiety and create use it as an energy management system rather than labeling as anxiety So I've got a lot of resources that are free because my mission is to try to reduce the barrier to access to this kind of information. So I try to pour my whole whole heart and soul into it. Mm. So people that want to get this help and support that they need, that they can get it. Cool. Oh, and I also have a free class, which I'll link to that. I've put in the link oh, for you, good. which is okay, uh, 10 techniques to awaken your inner champion. Awesome. So it's a 10 day, every day you learn 10, a new technique for 10 days. Is that and geared towards anybody
0: well. or is it for adults or anyone that wants to pick it up? Any, anyone, anyone could do it. Okay,
1: great. Anyone could pick it up. And, and, uh, I tried to make it as as if you were paying for it, but you were, you're getting it at no cost. So, okay, cool. So comprehensive. Um, so you get 10, 10 different days. Yes, that's, nice. uh, you know, give,
0: uh, not overwhelming, but enough for you to get your teeth into it. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to leave us with? Otherwise, I think, I think uh, that I think we're good.
1: Uh, it was great to, to meet you and Tara was right. I think we're, we're you know, kindred spirits. And I'm glad
0: that we've connected. And I'll look forward to getting to know you more. I hope you're leaving this conversation feeling a bit refreshed by the way Rambeer talks about her epiphany in adulthood and her experience working with people from all walks of life to reach their full potential. That mentality is so aligned with the way we work at The Optimalist and, of course, to build Engageable. But I'm eager to know what you're thinking yourself. You can let us know by leaving a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at Escandela9. You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the mindful pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Engageable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist. I'll be back next week with a new conversation. Stay engaged.